politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So, Adam. Travis! Wow. Bo? Duh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to say Travis? I don't know. The yeah is sort of charming in its own little Germanic way. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I was reading something kind of interesting that's a uh, spin on a very, very familiar form of cybercrime. Instead of trying to infect a computer with a ransomware to encrypt it, a group that was claiming to be uh, the remnants of the Darkside ransomware group are now using distributed denial-of-service attacks on targets and demanding ransom uh, just to make them stop. So they're aiming a botnet at a site to shut it down? Yeah, so they'll uh, just bombard you with, uh, with fake traffic from a botnet, uh, in this case from a bunch of compromised routers from Latvia ah. that all hit you all at once, and then they just say, you know, if you want us to stop, pay a ransom. That sounds like the title of a movie, Routers from Latvia. If you think you've seen everything, take control of your own destiny and join us. If you think you know love, is considered interfering with a police investigation. I really think you have me mixed up with somebody else. It's time for you to see. I don't like this one bit. Not one bit. Routers from Latvia. Yeah, <laughs> I thought yeah, you were. Uh, <laughs> it's using a uh, botnet called the uh, Maris botnet, which is uh, Latvian for plague. So that sounds kind of ominous. So, so would you would you call a DDoS attack like an annoyance attack? A little bit. If um, you're going after something that's uh, again the critical infrastructure, if you're bringing down a massive server, if you're bringing down something that say provides services for a lot of businesses or a lot of uh, social networks or something like that, then that could be pretty devastating. And we've seen a few times there have been some uh, really just mass uh, denial of service attacks that have taken down. I think like Amazon Web Services once. Or but was this attack that big, or who did they target this time? The company that um, mitigated the attack said uh, refused to uh, say who the target was, just that they managed to stop it. The things that were most noteworthy here is that they claim to be Darkside, and as we've uh, talked about it on previous episodes, Darkside was a ransomware as a service group, not. But a- they're also on vacation or on hiatus or something, right? The DDoS attack was, uh, you know, if it were if it were f- pointed at a- Amazon, right? AWS. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that could be a real problem for thousands and thousands of websites. Right. So that's worth quite a bit of money. And so the, the trick here is basically DDoS attack, ransom. Yeah? Right. We'll stop if you give us the money. It's like, instead of saying, it would be a shame if something happened to your store, this is a little bit more like, I just lit your store on fire. Pay us if you want us to put it out. Right. <laughs> Welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam, Cyber Bo. Oh, I'm Bo. Sadly, Cyber Red Cape. And I'm Travis, and despite what captures keep telling me, I am not a robot. <laughs> no, you are not a robot. <laughs> Today we're talking with podcaster and personality Jordan Harbinger about his time on the other side of the scam. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works. Not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing, and I need to make split-second financial decisions, and that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks, and I trade options, and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means... You get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't, like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. Today's guest is Jordan Harbinger. He is a podcast guru. He's done everything from be a driver for a security firm, profile celebrities, self-help guru. He was one of the original chat room predator root out guys <laughs> uh ended up working with the fbi he was also a lawyer on wall street he's a social engineering expert 
Jordan, have I left anything out? I mean, you're going over a career, like, this is like from 16, and I'm 42 now. So no, you got it all, but it also sounds like this guy doesn't do anything but post things in his LinkedIn bio, which is funny. <laughs> <laughs> the world's longest Twitter bio. It's an excellent bio. And meanwhile, we have a an intersecting point. We are both alumni of University of Michigan Law School. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right on. Now, Jordan, I have a question for you because I I don't know the answer to this one. Where, I, I don't know where you're from. Now, I know, are you from Oh, Michigan? I'm from Detroit. You're from Detroit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and you started you started in, in, in podcasting a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 2006. It was like December, November, December 2006 was when I recorded and released, I think, the first episodes of my old shows. Wow. That was more like, oh, I'm giving a talk and I want to record the talk and distribute it online and there's no way to do that. And then it was like, oh, I have multiple talks. Where do I upload them? And then, you know, like a geek friend of mine was like, podcasting is new and everyone has iTunes at school. And we recently announced something new for iTunes and iPod and it's called podcasting. Uh, As you know, the podcasting phenomenon is exploding right now. So... That was kind of what we decided on doing. And then it was like, oh, this is kind of like a downloadable radio show. Let's just make it like a radio show. And that was fun because a lot of podcasts back then, the idea that it was a show almost wasn't even a thing. Right. It was like there were a few people doing that, but most people were just using the podcast format for something other than what everyone's doing now, which is like, yeah, like a downloadable radio show. Yeah, you were you were at the very beginning. I mean, I'm trying to think 2006. Guilty verdicts in the biggest case of corporate fraud in history. 38 counts of fraud and conspiracy. Lawyers for Jeffrey Skilling and Kenneth Lay threw around complicated... He was a charismatic crocodile hunter who cheated death again and again. But Steve Irwin's luck suddenly ran out on the Great Barrier Reef when a stingray took his life. And there are two new cases of E. coli poisoning being linked to fresh spinach. There are now 173 reported cases in 25 states in one day. But, you know, that was really the infancy of a lot of things online. And, um, you know, podcasting, I I don't think I was even aware of podcasting yet in 2006. I think it was just starting to be something you you could find on Apple. Yeah, like to give you an idea, nobody except for people at University of Michigan, for example, and other colleges were on Facebook. So it was a really, it really was a different time. There weren't online personalities other than bloggers that had a following, but even bloggers, you didn't know what they looked like. You just read their stuff and you liked it and you bookmarked it and you checked back every day. And that was it. People forget how different the internet was back then. It really was a different playing field. (laughs) Do you remember how your podcast was doing back then? I don't even know if there was a way to reliably measure that. You know, we we had a server that we rented from GoDaddy, and the server would tell you type of files downloaded. So, like, you'd look and it would say, like, JPEG or GIF images that you had on your website, 3,000, you know, 300,000 or, like, X number of bytes or whatever it was. And then it would be, like, MP3 files, and then there'd be downloads... And partial downloads. And partial downloads would be like this massive number. And the downloads would be the smaller number. And we're like, okay, so which number is the number of downloads of people that have gotten this show? And it's like, you're kind of guessing. Uh, I guess all my episodes put together got 40,000 downloads over the last three and a half or so months, counting some of these partial downloads or not. There was really no science to it at all back then. All right, so that was then. But now mm-hmm. this is now. So how many downloads are you getting now since you actually can figure out how many downloads? Sure. Yeah. Like 15 million a month, which is, <laughs> you know, 
insane. Well, that's, that's quite, a, quite a difference. I remember back then, I mean, if you think about what the back end of any website or any kind of situation where you were making content in 2006, like, oy. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I look back at um, the time machine to look at some old sites that I was involved with, we thought they were wonderful. Like, oh my God, can you believe all that electricity sucking white space on our sites? They're so mm-hmm. clean and open, but now they look ridiculous. I mean, Travis, do you remember how ridiculous those sites looked? I do. Yeah. I remember uh, with the website that I uh, built for you before that was really, I think it was just like two words and an all white background. And we uh, thought it was some sort of avant-garde masterpiece. And now I'm just looking at it like, <laughs> eh, not so much. Yeah. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Absolutely. hundred percent. And you could only tell if somebody had like clicked a link or downloaded a file and that was it. That was all the information yeah. you had. Well, so now Adam gave a list of things that you've done over the years. <laughs> Your story that you, you came to talk to us about today is it has a LinkedIn twist to it, I'm thinking. It does. It, does it start on LinkedIn or, or does it start somewhere it, else? It, it, it does, but I'll start a little. I'll start one step behind. I used to run these programs where I would teach people like networking skills, social skills, body language, nonverbal communication, rapport building skills, things like that. And we would have a lot of engineering clients or engineers as clients, I should say. And they would come in and they'd be like, yeah, we're working on this augmented reality for the battlefield. And I was like, what's augmented reality? And they're like, oh, you'd look through a camera and it would show you things that are behind hills or undercover. And it would use satellite data instead of just a heat signal and just all this stuff. And I'm like, should I know about this? Should I know about this type of cruise missile or whatever design that you guys are working on? Should I, you know, have any real insight to this should you be talking about this in my living room uh or, or the office or wherever it was and all dudes yeah it was all dudes and they're just like yeah whatever it's okay he's got a top secret clearance she's got a top secret clearance whatever and i'm like well i certainly don't you know well, these so, are like night vision goggles on steroids right yeah yeah and and like stuff that we look at now that probably isn't even public facing these guys were working on it 10 years ago and I just, and, and like, I don't know much about cruise missiles or augmented reality in the battlefield or rocket propulsion, but I'm pretty sure that you're not supposed to just be blabbing about it when it's, you're something, something you're working on at a defense contractor. Mm-hmm. So that got me really curious if most people were as loose lipped with all of their, their specialized knowledge. And that's what got me to LinkedIn. Most people are a little loose lipped about what's, what they do, their specialized thing in certain settings, right? Yeah. I've, I've met people who have big jobs and you're in a setting where you can hear what they do and what's going on at their jobs, which maybe has been in a newspaper that day and you think like, I cannot believe I'm hearing this. But the only reason you're at the table is they know you're not gonna say anything. Right. But when you get online into the same you know, kind of conversation with someone you don't necessarily know so well, it is amazing how much people will tell you um, but I was always thinking that was more like in the dating world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- there's there's a lot of different, I guess you would say, metaphorical rooms or tables. And some of those tables are, in the metaphorical sense, are LinkedIn groups or job interview situations. And one of the things I started to do was have discussions in those groups. But I found that, you know, if you can get to the point where somebody's on the phone with you, and you say, yeah, I'm really interested in jet propulsion, but I want to work on these types of projects. And you're using all the all this specialized terminology. 
somebody might go, oh yeah, well we are working on supersonic, uh, you know, denial systems, naval denial systems, or like sea based denial systems. And you're like, okay, you're definitely not supposed to tell me that, but you think it's okay because I'm an engineering student and I'm talking about my interest in subsonic or supersonic missile denial systems, you know, anti-carrier missiles. And you're just like, well, this person's done their research. They work in the field. They're not going to say anything. They're just trying to get a job here. They're going to end up being my colleague. So I can talk a little bit about the project that we're working on. And it's like, well, you're not even supposed to be mentioning that the project exists probably at this point. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rose got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. To recap, yeah. you'd met these engineers and you wanted to know more. Mm-hmm. Now, were you curious because of the specifics of what they were talking about, or were you curious to see if you could actually get any information out of them. Yeah, I wanted to see what I could get out of them. I wasn't really that excited about rocket propulsion or missile propulsion or battlefield AR. I mean, it's interesting, but I was I was just more like thinking of the human human hacker function, sort of the human hacker vector, where I'm thinking these guys are working on really important stuff. Right. What if I were really impressed by this and I was an attractive woman and they were on a date with me or thought they were going to be on a date with me? I bet they'd be tripping over themselves to give me details of the projects that they're working on and that was what gave me this initial idea to go on linkedin with a couple of different profiles so what what got you interested in the social engineering side why why i'd been wiretapping as a kid i I, like i'd been opening up those green boxes on the side of the road and plugging in what uh lineman's handsets and stuff like that and listening to phone calls yeah so i was like you know really interested in people um, and I was an only child, so I spent hours listening to other people's calls. How many now? How many times had you been arrested for these little forays on the side of the road with the with the green yeah. box? So never, and I'll tell you why. Um, I would go out there, often in the rain, which was not super comfortable. But I would set up an umbrella, whatever. <laughs> there was a green box near my house that had a bush that really, really needed to be trimmed, 
and they, you know, city, whatever, had just like not trimmed most of it. And then when they did trim it, they trimmed the front side or sorry, they trimmed the back side. So the side that was facing the road was was still blocking the view of the green box from the road. And like the lineman would just park his thing and walk around the bush and go work on the on the green box. But I could sit there for hours next to a green box that I opened with the hex wrench that I essentially made myself and listen to phone calls and nobody would ever say anything. And I remember oh people God. would walk by and go, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'd go, oh, I'm just, you know, messing around. And they'd be like, okay, whatever. Or I'd go, oh, the lineman left this thing here and he's going to come back and tell me how it works. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. Because of course I have this bright orange lineman's handset plugged into a green box, but I'm like <laughs> 14. I got like BMX bike next to me. So they don't think, oh, that kid broke into the green box and he's listening to people's phone calls. They're just like, oh, the lineman sat him here to watch this thing so it doesn't get stolen and he's going to be back. So you were good at blending in and kind of doing your thing at a young age. But now are you in like, in like, I don't know where the eight mile is, but I saw the movie. Are you sort of near where like Eminem is? I was on 16 mile road, actually. So this, this road was a a north south road that went in right before it crossed yeah, right after, sorry, it crossed 16 mile. That's where I was doing this. So you, so, would, have, you would have really thrived when, when I grew up, and this was way back, you know, when there were still covered wagons. But when I grew up, <laughs> I lived in, in Warren, New Jersey, which is in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And we had a party line. Oh, yeah. You, you want to use the phone? Like, it was like Ernestine. You had to, like, pick up the phone and hope someone would plug the phone into something and you would also have the privilege of listening to all of your neighbors talking amongst themselves. You could hear their conversations? Wow. Yes, yeah. totally. I vaguely remember that, but I thought they were like, I thought that was like a mistake that the phone company was making. That was intentional? No. I, that no, was reality. No, there used to be lots of commercials for those. Yeah. Good morning. I'd like to talk over with you our job of taking care of our party line customers. Three out of every four homes in this country which have telephone service are on party lines. Nearly 11 million of our customers... Yeah, yeah, like, you know, your, your great-grandma... or sorry, not great-grandma. Your grandma wouldn't need her own phone line in 1968, right? So she would share a phone line with the whole street. She'd only use it once every three days. And our line our line was so crazy that, that if I wanted to call someone, I'd pick up the phone and the operator would say, Yes, Adam. And I would go... You go, I'm sorry, but your mother said you could only call her, not anyone else. Are you serious? Amazing. Wait, is this a joke? I can't tell. No, this is true. No, his mom was like that. True. <laughs> <laughs> tell my son. I mean, that must have been a small town where the operator's like, Adam, you're, we've had your this conversation. <laughs> Our town was so small that the post office was in the back of the pharmacy. So, hey, you know, there you go. That's wild. That is completely insane. Yeah, so this is like a party line, except for I wasn't allowed to be on it. Everybody else didn't know that I was on it, and it was illegal. <laughs> but other than that, it's the same In thing. In other words, you were having the party. <laughs> yes, I was the only one having the party. Because the lineman's handset was like alligator clips that could hook onto yep. uh, screw line pairs, for people who don't know. And then it would be you could mute, and it was like a handheld device. You know, these things were really, really neat. And for back in the day. So you were a little creeper. And they could, you were a little creeper back then. It was in the called day. a freaking, actually. Freaking, yeah. Yeah, freaking. Yep. That's what we called it. Yeah, with a PH. And you would you, is that okay if I say, like, characterize that as a, slight, a bit of a creeper behavior? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, but I was 14, so like whatever. Who cares, right? Totally. I mean, 13, 14. 100%. Everybody and I, creeps at 13 and 14. I didn't have anything better to do but creep yeah. at, at age 13, 14. So, Travis, I seem to remember you have a little freaking in your past. Really? Just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was not eavesdropping on anyone in the neighborhood, though. But Share, share. Um, there used to be these apps, I doubt they still work, but, uh, little computer apps and like that you can get that could break into phone networks, uh, by way of playing little tones. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember the old, uh, pay phones, but when you'd put a couple of coins in, it'd make that little chirping -ching, noise. That that would, like, you know, yeah. That, right. Yep. So there used to be, uh, applications that you could use that would work with, um, some phone networks or some phone exchanges and the like that you could use just to make outgoing calls. Mm -hmm. But it was a, it was sort of a... You know, I never really did anything that was that serious with it. It was, you know, we just kind of, it would be fun to do some prank calls and that sort of thing, but it was never anything that was uh, that involved. It was just more of kind of going into some weird little corners of the internet, finding out that some things were possible and just saying, that, sound, that doesn't sound right. Can I try that? Does it work? And it wouldn't always, but a lot of the time it would. <laughs> yeah. So... This got me interested in people because I would hear things like a guy getting a divorce and he would call his, his soon-to-be ex-wife, be one way with her, call his mom, be a totally different way with her, call his sister, be a totally different way with her, call his you know buddies, be a totally different way with them. And I was like, wait a minute. Adults aren't just these two-dimensional characters that exist in my life. They have feelings and there's a lot of complex emotional stuff going on. They don't have it all figured out either. Because, you know, when you're that age, your parents are just like these cutout type people. And those are the people that you know best. You don't see all their complicated emotions if they're good parents, generally. Like, they right. try and hide stressful, crazy things from you. And my parents were fairly normal. So to be able to hear somebody else have dysfunction as an adult was... A re really eye-opening for me. You're a student of human behavior. You even called it human hacking earlier. So what was your first step in hacking these engineers on LinkedIn? I started a, a LinkedIn profile as a recruiter, a job like a corporate recruiter. And it was very basic. And I joined a lot of these top secret clearance groups on LinkedIn. So it would be like top secret clear job offer group. And all you had to do is email the admin to be let in. There wasn't some kind of like verification process. They just, you just say, hey, I want to be in the top secret cleared groups thing. Uh, I have a clearance. And they'd go, okay. They weren't like, wanting to see any kind of documentation or anything like that. And they would say, you must have a clearance. And they'd say, where'd you get your clearance? And I'd say military. And they were like, okay, fine. How, uh, how elaborate was your profile anyway? Uh, did you, it was, it was filled a couple out of uh, little things on there. Just I'm a recruiter with the military. Or is it like, did you have the profile photo and all that other sort of stuff? Or? I, I did. Um, it wasn't, I wasn't a recruiter for the military. Sorry. I was a corporate yeah, right. recruiter who had a military background or whatever. And it was like, I place, uh, qualified candidates, and I just copied another recruiter's LinkedIn profile. You know, I didn't reinvent the wheel. I was just like, hmm, what do recruiters sound like? Oh, they went to Wake Forest, right? Or some, like, university that's big enough where if somebody else went there at the same time and you don't know them, that's not weird. Like Michigan. 
you know, you don't have somebody who goes, oh, yeah, I graduated in 2003. And you're like, well, I didn't know you. You wouldn't want to say something where everyone knows everyone else because there was 200 people there and it's a small liberal arts school. Right. You want to choose like a massive school, preferably one that was kind of like the one you went to. So you could maybe credibly banter about college football or tailgating or something like that. And I think I'd said that, that the guy actually went to Wake Forest or OSU or something along those lines. I had a couple of these. And yeah, you take someone else's profile pic, you you put a couple of job uh, like job history items in the resume, and that was pretty much all that people cared about. You know, there wasn't, I think back then when I was doing this, it didn't show like Jordan liked this post. I don't think it had any of that. I think LinkedIn was much more like a database of resumes in many ways. So that's why then. you picked LinkedIn as opposed to like Twitter or Facebook, right? Yeah. And also Twitter, well, we can get to Facebook because I did use Facebook, but Twitter was like short bio, very impersonal LinkedIn and still is one of the more trustworthy, or I should say trusted networks. And if I'm looking to get people to open up about something, they're not going to do it on Twitter. But if I'm offering someone a job on LinkedIn and I say, what have you worked on in the past and where they're going to tell you, they're not going to go, well, excuse me, that's top secret information. I can't tell you. <laughs> or like, Oh, that I have to ask my boss if I can tell you that they just go, well, confidentially, I worked at Northrop Grumman in Los Angeles working on propulsion systems. And you go, okay, great. Yeah. Secret's safe with me, Bill. You know, like that's, <laughs> that yeah, was, Bill, that was the, th thanks for telling me that you're now working on a nuclear weapon. You know? yeah. Are they even asking you questions? I mean, do you have to ever resort to your John Lovitz? Like, yeah, that's the ticket. Or are you just <laughs> kind of not really? I mean, it was, it was unsurprisingly, everybody was pretty trusting wow. like the top secret groups, I would interact with people. They would be offering me jobs or they'd say, hey, you know, we have this job. Can you offer it to some of your people? Some people I would just ghost because I would not want to out myself. Right. But I was really looking and I also didn't want, I felt a little guilty about wasting people's time because I mean, they're looking to put someone in a job. I don't want to cost someone a job for this dumb stunt that I was doing, you know? Um, but I would message people about fake jobs that didn't exist. Speaking of wasting people's time, I would message people about fake jobs that didn't exist and encourage them to apply and get information from them as well. People just assume since you were in these top secret groups, you were actually who you said you were, right? Yeah, like, oh, the, the admin of this group must have cleared this or cleared this person. They must have checked if he has a clearance. Also, why would they lie about having a clearance just to offer me a job? Like I'm, he's not trying to get a job. He's not a spy. He's trying to give me a and job. It was a That's he, not what you spies went in do. As a dude, you were just like uh, you, not Jordan, but another guy who is yeah, you know, some guy. Guys. Yeah, and then and I I had another profile that was also an engineering student, and I I used my assistant's photo, and she was like, uh, you know, it was I was in Hollywood at the time, so she was a you know photographer, singer, actress, uh -huh. model, uh, <laughs> assistant, admin. So you had the catfishing channel, and then <laughs> right, that's right. And Hollywood, Hollywood, she, yeah, I love it, I love it. Yeah, and she she was like, you want to use my headshots for what? And I was like hear me out here. I'm going to cat catfish a bunch of guys into thinking that you want a job at a defense contractor. And she's like, this isn't going to get me in trouble. Right. And I was like, probably not, not totally <laughs> sure. Not exactly. Wait, so yeah, you really maybe. did. So I was, that was, I was just shooting from the hip. So you were cat, you, you intentionally set out to catfish these dudes. 
Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really like trying to get them to go out on dates or anything with uh, with my assistant at the time. Her name was Alara, so if I say that name, that's who that is. I wasn't trying to get them to go out with Alara, but she would then message some of these other professionals and say, "Hey, I'm an engineering student. Uh, I want to know more about things like, yeah, propulsion systems." To use the example I was using before, and guys were like, "Well, you should come work in L.A." You should come work in LA. You should come work over here. You should work in our Indiana office because they were like a, an attractive female engineer. Um, there's not like a whole lot of those every year in the new incoming class and defense contractor in any industry, frankly. You know, it's usually kind of a dude heavy profession, as, a, as you guys are aware. So, one, the HR departments loved her because they want to diversify their engineering staff. The engineering staff loved her because she was a personable, attractive female who was interested in the stuff that they were interested in. So she got a lot of attention from all the people that I wanted to get information from. And so they would answer her questions like really fast and really complete. You know, she'd say, oh, I, I want to be in the sun. Where's the office? Is it near the beach? No, actually, it's a little bit more over in this location. You know, you can look up here, but you know, our propulsion people, they work out of this place and you know, you might be able to do this and uh, the type of work. Oh, I don't want to work on something. That I look, my internship, I worked over here and I got stuck working on this. I want to make sure I'm not getting stuck working on that. Well, if you join us, you'll be working exclusively on rocket propulsion because that's my group and I can make sure that I request you and you'll be working with me. Stuff like that. And I would say, oh, good. Can I call you sometime if I have any questions? And they would give their phone number, which is an office phone. And I would later use that for other things. Like I would spoof it to call someone else. Was there information that, that you got from these folks that surprised you? Yeah, and I don't remember slash probably shouldn't even disclose a lot of the specifics, but yeah, I got office locations of things, not just like the one you drive by on the highway, but like testing ground locations where they test things, types of projects they were working on that were definitely still under wraps, the amount of people working on things, how far along some things were, you know, not at a detailed level, but... You know, are they testing prototypes of this already? Yes. But no uh, no nuclear submarine diagrams. No, no, no. I wasn't getting documents from these guys or anything like that. It was all word of mouth. And so there, there is an opening here for it to be a lot of nonsense that they just said to get me to go work there that was lies. But also not a great strategy because if you lie, if you lie to somebody to get them to go work with you and then they get there and they find out you're full of crap, they're going to leave and they're going to be mad at you. So I have to think that the majority of what I was told was probably accurate. Well, I mean, listen, that, that's fascinating. I want to actually go back in time for a minute because I was reading uh, about you. And one of the things that I thought was fascinating was uh, when you were talking about your experience as a young person, when in the AOL days, and boy, do oh, I yeah. remember the AOL days and hearing the dial up. But in those days, when you decided to, to go online, and use a, a feminine handle and mm. just see how people would make pitches at you. Yep. And and you uncovered some things that you were pretty shocked about. Yeah, um, I, I did. I, so when I was about 16, 17 years old, 
maybe, yeah, 16 sounds about right. I worked in Detroit, in downtown Detroit, and everyone I worked with is older. And they would say things like, oh, you know, what's going on with the girls, man? And I'd be like, oh, I don't date because I'm 16. And they'd, they'd go like, well, where do you meet girls? And I'd go, I don't know. Online, I'd use Instant Messenger, AOL Instant Messenger. And i chat with them. And or I think they were just called Instant Messages. I don't even think Instant Messenger as a program existed. It was just like inside the AOL program that came on the CD or the disc. Right. And I would look for girls in my area and just start chatting with them. Well, the, one of the guys had a brilliant idea and he would say, he said, if you want to know how to get women to respond to you, you should uh, set up a profile as a woman, which back then in AOL days was only a screen name. There was no photos or anything. You would just make a screen name that sounded kind of girly and see what all the guys say. Like just go online, leave it on like overnight or like at night when your parents aren't using the phone and just leave it on for a few hours, maybe during the day when you go to school, and come back and look at all of the incoming messages from the people that tried to start chats with you, and you'll find out what everybody is saying, and you can basically avoid being the guy who, go, who sends a message that's like, what's up, or hey, right? <laughs> and maybe some guys will have clever ones and you can steal those. Since we're here, I have to ask, so what is, what is the right thing to say now? Well, I'm, I'm trying to come up with an example. I can't remember a thing that I would have actually have said back then, but I'm trying to think of an example. Like, uh, if if she, if her profile says like "really love Detroit Tigers," you might say like, "hockey hockey's more exciting than baseball," but I like the cut of your jib or something like that. And they would be like, "No way, baseball all the way." Uh, do you watch football? Whatever it was. And I, you know, the answer for me is no, I'm a nerd and I open green boxes on the side of the road and listen to phone calls, but you know, <laughs> you'd get them done. to reply, yeah. <laughs> you get them to reply. And that was the trick. Cause these girls are getting messages all day long. And I say girls, cause they were also like 15, 16, 17 years old. And so I went back to work in Detroit and I would tell the guys like, Oh yeah, you know, this is working. And then one, uh, one day, like a mere days after I'm trying this, I started getting like weird, creepy messages from a lot of different guys and their profile would say like 37 years old, living in Allen Park, Michigan, which is nearby. And it would be like creepy come on stuff. And I'm like, my profile clearly says that I'm a 15 year old girl living in Birmingham or whatever it was, Michigan what is this guy doing? And I remember printing off the chats because I was like, these guys are such losers. And I would print off the chats and I brought them to work and the guys were having a big laugh over the printed out chats. And they're like, these guys are losers. And then one of the women at work was like, wait a minute, this is not, hold on, what? this is creepy as hell. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, you don't understand because you're 16. But this person who's 37 is hitting on a girl that he thinks is 15 this is not just like a dork with no life. This is like a predator. So she told the boss, the boss looked at these and he was like, we got to tell the police. So he called the police and they were like, we don't handle this because it's like multi-jurisdictional. You have to call the FBI. So we called the FBI. They were actually only mildly interested. And then they had us fax the tra transcripts that I'd been printing off. And once the faxes went in, we got a phone call back like five minutes later. And they were like, whoa this is worse than i thought and i was like yeah and there's this happens all day every day to this screen name on aol and so 
they were really interested in me sending more and more and more of these chat transcripts. And this is so early in the game. This is in the 90s, right? This is like 1996, 97. This is so early in the game that I remember the, the, the agent from Detroit said, we don't handle cybercrime in the Detroit office. Only DC has a cybercrime division. And so I remember talking with a cybercrime agent or something like that with my boss and with this Detroit agent on like a conference call type situation. And they were so confused because they were like, so this is a predator that's messaging you how on America online by typing? Have, you, have, they, have they sent you any obscene photographs or anything? And I'm like, no, those take like 10 minutes to download. I wouldn't do that. You know, it's like, have you met up with any of them? I'm like, no, I'm a man. I'm 16, 17, like I, this, he thinks he's talking to a girl. And they, cause the stuff they were covering back then was somebody using, I don't know, the Swift system to like wire themselves $3 million, not internet predators. Like they were looking at real hardcore online fraud using like specialized enterprise systems not AOL they you know not ever so this is like you were to catch a predator before to catch way a predator before ever ended up on TV exactly but, okay. but this is really good because we're talking about the fact that this is how you got your you know your your skills these are tactics for instance scammers and hackers would use right? yeah so you got mm -hmm. these skills so now if we go back to the defense contracting fishing that we were talking about, it sounds like you were in a position to get spy grade information. You mentioned getting locations, phone numbers. Uh, how was that? I mean, how did that make you feel when you were, they were just throwing this stuff at you? So the first thing I did was email the EFF and was like, am I going to go to prison if I keep pulling this experiment? Because the last thing I want to do is do this and then be like, look what happened. And they're like, cool, you're under arrest. Okay, for, for our listeners, just we have to break in and say, like, Travis, you want to tell everyone what the EFF is? The Electronic uh, Frontier Foundation, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So you called the EFF, and the EFF told you what? They were like, here's kind of the lines that you don't cross. Don't ask for things that are blatantly classified. Because if you get them, now you're in possession of them, which is illegal. And if that person gets caught later on, they're going to just follow a train back and be like, who's what IP was logging in is this person? It must be a Chinese spy. Oh, it's some schmo trying to get data together so he can give a talk at DEF CON. Well, arrest him too. Right. So I was nervous about that kind of thing. Did at any point you just uh, start to get really nervous about the things that people were telling you? Because it sounds like that would be an easy line to cross if you're just having that communication with the multiple people all at once. Yeah, there were a few people where I actually ghosted them because I was like, I'm sort of demonstrably right up against where they, something weird might come out. Like they were trying to, like maybe they were trying to get my assistant to, or slash me, to meet with them. And they were going to show me things that they were working on. And I was like, well, I can't show up because I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not Alara. I was using Alara's photos, but also I can't, I don't want them to be like, fine, I'll just send them to you in an email. I'm like, don't do that. Because if this is, even if it's just confidential information that's proprietary BAE systems, Northrop Grumman documentation and is not classified, they could sue me, right? For yep. like, hey, yep. you're not supposed to have this. You tricked somebody out of this using deception. And I'm like, ta-da, I found a hole in your security. They're not going to be like, 
thanks for that. They're going to be very unamused, I would imagine. Yeah, this is and, not the bug bounty deal. Yeah, this is not the bug bounty deal. This is like embarrassing somebody. And bear in mind, also, a lot of the people that had TS clearances were Lieutenant Colonel something something retired, uh, a senator from Ohio Right. Like these are people that had real clearances that were giving me information that they probably shouldn't. And I'm not going to come out on top of that equation. That person's going to call in a favor or frame it like this guy tricked me or this guy did is doing something wrong because they're not going to let, let their career take the hit. So, yeah, I got pretty nervous with some of these people that had titles before or after their name, especially some of the military guys, because I was like, they might know a lot of stuff. and I just don't want it showing up in my inbox yeah, and they may know how to find you and how to send yeah. other people to find you and then no one can find you so right exactly yeah i was i was more worried about prison slash a lawsuit i wasn't worried about getting offed by anyone because nobody was like here's this here's the f-35 plans you know but somebody could go oh i wasn't supposed to give you that and i've ha i had some of the people say like you're not supposed to have this but here's what we're, here's something we're working on does this look interesting to you mm. and i'm like they could get fired for that and then that's a lawsuit. And I also didn't want to get anybody in trouble, trouble, because I was just trying to prove a point. I wasn't trying to be like, haha, ruined your whole life, stupid. You know what I mean? I imagine this whole experiment taught you a lot about how people react in these type of scam situations. Yeah. What were some of the things you learned that have really stuck with you? So there were a couple of things that I used that worked almost every time. In, in rapport, if you disclose first, other people will open up. And those are like trust triggers. So if I say, oh man, you know, I really, I'm afraid to go work out there. I'm gonna be all alone. I don't know anyone in Indiana. What am I gonna do? I feel like maybe I should just stay in California. And the person would say, you know, I also am pretty lonely out here. I'm not getting along well with my significant other. And you know, it'd just be great to have somebody in the office that I can relate to because everybody's so left-brained. And I'm like, this guy's basically telling me stuff that he would not want anybody at his office to know and certainly wouldn't want his family to know. And now he's, of course, going to trust me with something else that is not shareable, right? And it, so it shifts when you disclose first and you're using rapport, it shifts from someone violating a policy that they should know better to helping somebody in need. And also, the other takeaway is, people go, I would never fall for that. I bear in mind, I'm getting one or two nuggets from each person. And then I'm backing way off. You know, we might be talking about McDonald's filet fish for the next two weeks, uh, two or three messages back and forth after you gave me your office phone number or the project type or where the test thing is that you're located at and you feel isolated from your family. You know, that kind of stuff was gold and then you didn't want to just dive in and keep doing more and more and more maybe a spy would but also i think a spy actually might back off and say this person trust me if i dig even more their bs detectors might go off and then they're going to be like "Uh oh what, have, what am i doing this is bad so people should know better but i also understand why they don't because i'm pushing a lot of buttons so in other words after someone gave you the nuclear launch codes you then sent cat pictures to them to make right yeah like you're just going oh you know what uh, i just got i have midterms i'm not going to be online for a while thanks so much and then you would just ghost for like 10 days two weeks and you'd get it it's funny because you check your inbox like how are midterms going break a leg beers on me after your finals are over and you come work for bae and you're just like oh man i feel bad like these 
guys are excited about this person who doesn't exist. You know, it, it actually made me feel kind of gross doing this. I won't lie. So when you got all this information, were you able to, if you wanted to, sort of check out profiles online and eventually find these people in real life? I did do some of that. So I would shift to Facebook and get a lot more personal information. You'd find someone's birthday. You'd find out photographs of them if they were posting that kind of thing. People would post things on Facebook that they would be hesitant to share on LinkedIn, but they're sharing details there that they almost feel are compartmentalized from LinkedIn. Or, or you know, even if they're not compartmentalized, I don't, I don't put what I ate for lunch on LinkedIn, but I see a lot of people doing that on Instagram. You know, so you can gather a more complete picture of somebody using different types of social media. And so those who were hesitant maybe to share a lot of the detail before, now they realize, oh, I'm helping a beginner. I'm helping somebody who's interested in the field that I'm working in. Uh, this person's not shy for asking for advice. You know, I admire them. And then I would use their name and some of their picture data to go on Yelp and find out other location data about them, like where they eat and things like that. And that was interesting. Um, I know it doesn't sound interesting, but imagine finding somebody on LinkedIn, shifting to Facebook, finding out a little bit of preferences, and then being able to find them on Yelp and figuring out where they eat. And then using the Yelp locations of the places they've reviewed to get a good idea of where they are working, even if they won't tell you. So, you know, that reminds me, I find re-identification fascinating, actually. And you're talking about re-identification or, oh, okay. or, or, or further, like DeMont Joy, I forget the guy's first name, but there is a there's a theorist who figured out that with um, just correlating a, uh, a month's worth of um, visa charges to Instagram, they could re-identify people based on what they ate. Wow, yep. that's interesting and, now, and scary. Scary, but using a big, big computer, yeah. and um, and and so that that's like the the great power version of hacking. The you're doing something which is the opposite, right? You're doing you're doing social engineering. It sounds to me like almost entirely mm -hmm. with a little open yeah. source. What did you find out? Did you get to a point where you could actually compromise these people who have clearance? Yeah, it, it started to become really obvious that if I wanted to meet pretty much any of these people, they would have been open to it. Some even said they were open to it flat out. Like, oh, yeah, we can meet up sometime. Let me know if you're in the area. I'll walk you into your interview. Like, it, if this person was real, I would have had a job in a heartbeat because everybody wanted to put in a good word. It just became really obvious that this was a major security hole. I think the takeaway is that you're now perfectly trained to be the next superhero spy. Or a Russian Red Sparrow. That's right. Yes. I just need to work on my glutes a little. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just a little. Get, gotta do some squats. You and me both. It seems like the moral of today is that people overshare online, and a lot of it with strangers. Mm -hmm. And to our listeners, this is exactly what scammers love about the internet. They want to listen. They want to watch. They want you to spill your guts. And when you do, they're going to know what you like, what you don't like, who your friends are, where you eat, what your weak points are. And they're counting on it. Mm -hmm. But again, you stopped messing around on LinkedIn and went back to podcasting and consulting. And your experiment with all this was mainly research for a talk you gave at DEF CON. Not everyone out there is curiously researching a topic for a speech. Exactly. You moved on, mm -hmm. but there are many more who are still out there. Yeah, the human element of security is always the one that can be broken because even people who are trained to avoid questions or answering questions too completely unless they are very very disciplined which most people are and to the point of willing to be kind of a rude bastard 
they're still going to have some element of trust for complete strangers, especially if that stranger proves to be somebody that they like. Yeah, and if you think you're too smart, you know, for that, and this can't happen to you, you're exactly who hackers are looking for, right? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Remember that show, The Real Hustle? R. Paul Wilson, that yeah. he would say, if you're the type of person who thinks that he can't be scammed, you're exactly the kind of person I want to meet. Jordan, thank you so much for being on the show today. And if any of our listeners wanted to know more about you or listen to your podcast, where should they go? I host the creatively titled Jordan Harbinger Show. It's available on, uh, well, anywhere you get your podcasts, H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R. And I have I have some great shows for people that are interested in cybersecurity. We had Nicole Perlroth on the show. I've got a couple of hackers that can't reveal their identity coming on talking about cyber warfare and some of the Ukraine stuff and the, the denial stuff that they're doing as well. But I also, you know, I've got a lot of various uh, shows of interest that I think people who are interested in a show like What the Hack would really enjoy. Well, you know, I, lo I, I love the show you did with uh, with Richard Clark. I thought. Oh, he's good. Awesome. Yeah, he's good. And um, who else did I have recently that I think people would enjoy? Ray Dalio is good. He's always good. Mark Cuban's interesting. But I mean, we've had Kobe Bryant, Malcolm Gladwell, Matthew McConaughey, you know, and a bunch yeah, of people on. that you never heard exactly. of. Exactly. I was just going to say, yeah. you know, blah, 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 blah. But Joe Barone, oh my God, that guy's accent yeah. alone was worth the price of admission. I just was listening to it today. Anyway, you've been just an awesome guest. Yeah, thank you. So have I told either of you guys, I think I must have, when I was at Air America about the USB drive I got from the guy from Lockheed? It's sort of in one ear out the other. Uh, all right. Vaguely. Adam, what is one of <laughs> what is one of your pet peeves? <laughs> what does that tell you? you? No. With, about me. The one that drives, I think, both of us crazy is that we have to send you a text to get you to look at your email. Is that true, Travis? Yep. Yeah. Emails uh, die a very sad and lonely death in your inbox. <laughs> very true. It's, yeah, it's like, you know, one is the loneliest number. Well, that's kind of what an email feels one like in the land of love. One is the loneliest number. Yeah, listen, I make it's, it's strategy. It keeps me from getting hacked. I won't get fished that way. But it's not true. Of course it's not true. So that was also true when it was just snail mail. When I was at Air America, I never opened my mail. And one day, a colleague, John Irvin, was sitting with me, and he was like, can I open your mail, please? I was like, yeah, I guess so. Go ahead. So he opens up this letter, and he go, he walks over to me, and he goes, I think this is serious. And it was a, a zip drive that someone had sent with a handwritten letter um, and it was this person who worked for Lockheed in Afghanistan, and they were uh, against the drone attacks that were happening at the time. And on the, the zip drive was information about all the U.S. operating forward operating bases in Afghanistan and at the time also Pakistan, which was at the time was classified information. Awkward. So, yeah. So we called in Jack Rice, who at the was had a show at Air America at the time and was a former CIA agent and he saw what it was and left the room. Just what Jordan said. He was like, I can't, if I see that, I will get arrested. Mm -hmm. 
And the reason is he had clearance to see it. Now, I didn't have clearance. So what we did was we opened it on a junkie computer and then we called the FBI right away. The FBI came. They took said junkie computer <laughs> and, you know, interviewed all of us. And that was the end of the story. But this really serious stuff Jordan was talking about. Oh, yeah. But, how, I mean, were you not concerned about the, the fact that he had a phone number? I mean, let's just role play this travis like so you have that phone number you spoof it what can you do um just about anything you can present yourself as a coworker. you can present yourself as a supervisor and get someone to send you information um a lot of the time if you are calling from uh, if you're calling someone and you want them to be able to really uh, cough up the goods make them think they're going to get in trouble if they don't that's one way a lot of uh, just basic scams work is that if you say you know like hey i need you to do this and this is your supervisor or employer of some sort. People are going to kind of jump to, especially if they're a new hire and they don't really know uh, what to expect yet from communications. So it's the it's the telephone version of business email compromise. Right. Yeah, if you think about it, especially uh, from what he was saying, that there are people working in pretty separate departments. If you're working in engineering here and testing here, and there's a like home business office here, or uh, what have you, that 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 ends up meaning you're not going to people in these separate departments aren't really going to be as familiar with who's even just one building over. And so if you get a phone call, especially if you're a trusting person, like a lot of these people seem like they are, um, you're not going to have any reason to think that it's uh, anything other than uh, the person at that phone number. And this is why we always tell people to be very careful when you receive a phone call from anybody, even if it looks right, if the name is right, the number is right. That doesn't mean it's necessarily right. Especially if, they're asking you questions about personal identifiable information, then that person becomes not Mr. or Mrs. Right. They become very wrong, and you don't need any part of that. Or at least suspect. How do you, like, but how do you, uh, I, is this just a situation where you hang up and make the phone call yourself to whoever is supposedly calling you? Or Well, the first step is you can listen. Just don't say anything or say, hey, thank you. I, I got to handle something. I'm going to call you right back. And then you independently verify the phone number. And uh, and you can even go a little further and, and say to somebody when you call, does so-and-so work for you? Because I just got a phone call from them. Um, their information might be at least available to other people who are doing customer service rep work. Now, I mean, people might not even know at this point, um, having listened to the show for a while, that you did found Cyber Scout, which gave companies advice on how, among other things, how to stay cyber safe. Um, this seems to me like it's pretty far up the chain of pretty of serious stuff that can happen. No, it's very serious. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were a, a company that specialized in making people paranoid and also <laughs> understanding, <laughs> understanding where your vulnerabilities were. But in the old days, it was trust but verify. Today, it's never trust, always question. Uh, verify, 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 independently verify. Yeah, I think one of the things that's just so uh, striking from the guests that we've had um, on this is that the same methods and the same tricks work if you're just trying to uh, catfish someone on a dating site or if you're trying to get access to classified information and material. That it's the, it sounds like it's a lot of the same, um, just social engineering tricks one way or the other of having a, uh, you know, a picture of a pretty person on LinkedIn can uh, open a lot of doors for you. Um, sort of the same way that having a pretty picture of someone on um, match.com can do the same. 
No, listen, it's it's so true. And it's, it's, I mean, social engineering is exactly that. Getting people to tell you something that you want to know that they don't realize that they're actually giving away or creating such trust with people that you make them want to give you the information as opposed to you're luring the information out of them. Yeah, or just getting one of those little alligator clips and going into the phone box. <laughs> or getting <laughs> onto the party days. line. Yeah, <laughs> the party line. Man, this was a good episode. To all of our listeners, because mm -hmm. this is a moment for all of our listeners, we want you to tell us something that we want to know. What's that? Oh gosh! No, no. Here it comes. Why Sing. Not write a review, no, you know a review. You want to know what they think. It, while you're at it, I want yeah. you to think of celestial things, right? Mm -hmm. And somebody could play stardust in the background here, but there's celestial things, uh, including like Pluto, uh, like five stars. Oh, not like the dog Pluto. I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, so all right so you do you want well, that's goofy you, not pluto I, I don't know i'm not really good on the disney characters goofy um, talks pluto doesn't which i was i thought was a little bit creepy well it's not fair for pluto not to be able to talk i mean he's a dog right, but scandal scandal but this is really quite something that you're still asking for reviews. And, you know, I've seen some. That's the other startling thing is your, your scare tactics and your bullying, it's working. And they like us. They really, yeah. really like us. Thank you, everybody who's given a review. Sorry, I have to listen to this. Thank you. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. It's produced by Andrew Stephen, the man with two first names. You can find us online at loudtreemedia.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.